And the facts is this, boys. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth.
Tito. Rogelio. when you started as a filmmaker if we can start talking about that to begin with what was your journey into filmmaking and what inspired you to become a filmmaker well i i loved watching animated films and i loved watching films even when i was young um my mom introduced me to watching classical movies like one night we will just pop in the vct of gone with the wind and then we'll watch that all through the night and then my dad introduced me to watching sci-fi and to watching um, action films. So kind of kind of the person that likes all kinds of genre, genres of film. But uh, when I was in college, I was very much eager to learn how to make films and to um, how, because I'm quite fascinated with that world. I, I grew up not in Metro Manila, but um, more outside um, so and I did a research back then that it was quite expensive to get into filmmaking so what I did was well I continued my second passion which is in um, software engineering so I pursued that and then when I started earning money <laughs> from um, making programs and softwares I bought my first camera so I uh that's when i started making my own short films so maybe i was around 22 back then yeah i was i didn't go to school i don't i didn't go to filmmaking school i just studied everything on my own read read books um watched a lot of movies um finished youtube university <laughs> a lot of how to's on YouTube and then I guess um, maybe around well maybe when I was 23 I started making short films uh, both live action and short um, short films uh, short animated films but it was only until 2015 that I got to make my first animated feature film which was Manang Biring what's the filmmaking scene in manila and the region like is it fairly active oh uh, yeah um uh, right now i i guess i would say that it's very active but compared to before it's not i mean it's more central centralized in the metro or in schools that offer film or mass communication i grew up in laguna which is outside of manila um so <laughs> we weren't that um you know, um, looking at film schools, it's very expensive and stuff. So, but now compared to before, it's very, very active and different 
I guess in very in different regions here in the Philippines, uh, they have their own like um, festivals and um, they they teach though them even I think in high school they they do um, which is which is good because back then it wasn't accessible to us. I imagine purchasing a camera before that was fucking yeah. expensive. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like you know, in in Australia, it it used to be tens of thousands of dollars, and until you know, we had uh, SLR cameras come along that you could actually shoot stuff properly for an affordable price, or even you know, on your phone or something. The the barrier for entry is super high, so it's wonderful to see that in the last ten years, this emergence of filmmakers who have grown up wanting to be a filmmaker and then and and have been denied that opportunity and now getting the chance to tell those stories. And I'm curious if you can talk about that kind of having been denied the ability to actually be able to be a filmmaker and what it means to now be able to have your stories get out into the world. Well, I guess um, I am fortunate to be alive in <laughs> in the time where in the the filmmaking is some somehow domesticated. I mean, um, it gives voices to other people who want to tell their story. I mean, um, if they want to make films, they could even just use their phone and they and they would just invest in a good sound capturing something or in microphone. But I'm. I mean, it benefited me, I guess. I mean, uh, from a dreamer standpoint, I mean, uh, I was, I remember when I was younger, I was looking at the prices of the cameras that, you know, (laughs) I was computing, oh, I was computing with my salary back then, like, oh, it's going to take me three years before I could save up to buy that (laughs) camera. But, I was fortunate the the emergence of the SLR cameras and the um, improvement of cameras and phones. That's a lot. That it, that means a lot. Not just me, but also to those who don't have that much access to filmmaking. Of course, yeah. With that in mind as well, was that part of the reason why you chose animation as a style of filmmaking? Um, animation is something. Um, well, I grew up liking and loving, but. I guess um, it 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 was Richard Linklater's fault that I got it. I don't know him, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but we have this. There's this cable channel in the Philippines when I was young. So this channel it shows um so it shows sometimes it shows art films, sometimes it shows world cinema films, sometimes it shows porn. I was fortunate enough to be awake one night and I was able to see Waking Life and I was fascinated with it. I mean, it was the first time that I saw that kind of animation and I couldn't sleep. I had to I had to study how it was made. As with my films, I think I, I, I want the animation to make sense, not just because it's what I'm familiar with or it's what's available to me i want animation to complement the story as well um for for the missing since it's rotoscope and uh, hand-drawn animation uh, i wanted to evoke this feeling of confusion to the viewers that um it complements eric's um journey 
um, he's also questioning what, whether things are real or not. And as for the 2D, um, for the flashbacks, I, I wanted this feeling of a memory that is stuck in childhood. Ergo, we use that kind of style of animation. There's, I mean, that's what I'm so in awe of, is that the different styles, not just in the flashbacks, then also know in his reality how he sees the world and then also when this supernatural or you know extraterrestrial aspect appears as well and there's so many different layers and you know i hope this comes across as a compliment but if you read that on paper and you think this is going to be a mess this should not work but then you watch it and again it's such an emotional experience because of the way that you've layered it and I'm curious if you can talk about what that looks like on a script level on when you first start writing The Missing, how that looks on on the page. Well, there was a certain push and pull with going crazy and <laughs> being sane. Um, <laughs> um, but, well, I, I guess it benefited me the, uh, when I got in Cinemalaya because... We had a workshop back then. Um, I wrote a version of the script with, which was very pulled back. I mean, I, I was thinking maybe at that time, I was thinking that maybe they won't accept it because it's too crazy or it's too out there. But Junla Anna, which was our uh, mentor for script writing, he said, why are you uh, why are you pulling yourself back? Uh, this is your time to push your creativity and then show people what you can do. And then and that that's what I did. I push and but I retained. Um, I, I I wanted the audience not to get lost with the film because that's not the intention of the why we are telling this story. So. On paper, there's a certain balance of, you know, zaniness and <laughs> um, being normal. Um, but all throughout, even with the sound and the um, music, um, we we use that term in our production, push-pull. Even with the emotions, um, uh, sometimes it will make you laugh and then later on it will make you sad or um, more morose or something. It almost feels like a, an autobiographical or at least a, 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 a very personal stance to this story. Can you talk about if that's the case, if that if it comes from your own personal experience or somebody that you know at all? Um, actually, it's a very personal story. Um, it's Well, my story wasn't as bad as what happened to Eric in the film, but I guess uh, what Iti Mapokpoka or The Missing is it's a combination of my interviews and my personal stories. So I'll, I'll just give you a quick um, background of how we how I came up with the story. So back in 2018, um, there were group chats of our um, um, relatives to, uh, saying condolence to the certain person that is quite familiar to me. And I haven't seen his name for a very long time. And what I did was I did a research on that person and memories came back that this person did sexual advances to me when I was young. And 
I was angry because I wasn't able to confront him because he's dead. <laughs> and um, I couldn't do anything about it anymore. So I wrote the story of Eric at first as a coping mechanism, but also from a place of anger. But I guess it mel uh, what mellowed me down was talking to other people. Um, I didn't want them to get hurt by watching the film. I wanted them to feel encouraged. So I pivoted the story and the film to be more hopeful and loving and encouraging in a way towards them. You know, um, I want this. I wanted the film to be a nudge or an embrace to people that um, here's a refuge. Here's uh, we can build a community with this one. Um, I hope that people will start speaking out, out about their truths or what happened to them. Thank you. It's I know it's hard to talk about, but it's also part of the the the, the narrative of the film, and it takes courage to both talk with a stranger like myself about these kinds of stories, but then also to trust an audience of people that you're not going to know in countries that, you know, who knows where they are. And I'm curious if you can talk about possibly finding that courage. How did you get to the point where you're like, I know I can do this and I can trust that people are going to engage with it on the level that I need them or want them to? Um, probably um, when I started talking to other people, I mean, when I got that feeling that um, of what I of what the film should be, um, I wanted a sincere story that would um, be an embrace to all the victims and be an uh, well sort of a lesson or uh, give a lesson or understanding for those people who have, who haven't undergone the same thing, but. I guess at first I, I didn't expect that it would be shown outside of the Philippines. My main concern at the beginning was um, was this is this story going to be something that Filipinos would cling to? Um, but I guess um, it being personal and this kind of story, um, if you bring it outside of the Philippines. Um, it could happen to anyone. Um, it could happen to any place or any country. So I guess that's where the universality of the story lies. And I guess uh, as we're talking about the trust of an audience as well, there's a trust of your cast as well. And I'm curious if you can talk about how you went about casting the film and building the the right uh, array of characters and actors to portray those characters. I knew that from the get-go, um, Eric is going to be a very sullen and very um, heavy character. Um, he's not going to talk, so everything is going to be shown through the eyes or whatever is left <laughs> on his face. Um, so I wanted two characters that would balance that out. And those characters actually are based from <laughs> interviews as well. I mean... I asked some psychiatrists and psychologists, what would be the best approach if you know someone that has undergone this kind of thing? And most, almost most of them is, uh, they said that 
we should provide a very careful and understanding and loving support system to them and do not force them to speak i mean you just allow them to um speak to speak at their own terms um so the supporting characters played by Gio Gahol and Dolly De Leon i i want them to be uh representative of those people in real life or in like the mother, they know that there's something wrong, but they can't do anything about it. Um, as for the love interest, he knows that there's something wrong, uh, um, but he will try to understand what she's go he's going to, but he's going to stop him if he starts to hurt himself. And that's what uh, Carlo, the character played by Gio Gallo is. So when we did the casting, we actually wrote down a lot of actors that um, came into our mind we were, when we were brainstorming with the casting. But these three actors are the three that you know stu- uh, stood out. Um, Carlo Aquino is a very intense actor. Actually, when he was on set, there were times like I was asking him, "Are you methoding this?" <laughs> I, I, I was I was scared to. <laughs> uh, but he said uh, he said that he wasn't doing method with it, but more of he was very scared and careful that he doesn't mess up uh, um, what that character is trying to signify. signify. So, and Gio Gahol, I know him from uh, theater, and I know he and Dolly De Leon. Um, they bring this warmth to their roles um, from what I have seen and. And I talked to them and said to them that um, you, uh, we are we are pitching this story to you because we know that you would be the best um, actors to portray this um, characters, especially Carlo Aquino. I mean, he's a very intense actor, and his eyes, my God. <laughs> With obviously it being in rotoscope as well, how do you make sure that that energy in their eyes carries across to the animation? Uh, as for the animation, we ha- had uh, after it was shot. Uh, I processed. I processed all of them first. I made the eyes bigger, um, <laughs> uh, and then I made a note to everyone that you should watch the scenes first because if you watch the actors on how they portrayed um, the scenes, you would know how it should look like even if it was rotoscope so it was um handled i guess very carefully that they had to match and not lose the emotion that the actors are giving and did you shoot at in real locations or was it on a set yes actually we shot and not in location but we shot everything for four days only crazy uh, no wait, hang on, hang on. Stop, <laughs> stop for a second. Four days. <laughs> yes. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all shot on green screen. So we were just in a studio, because this this are we this these four days are the only time that all these actors are gonna be in sync. In I mean schedule wise. I mean after those days. Um, some of them are gonna leave, or some of them are gonna work on other projects. So, but luckily, we didn't actually work overtime during those days. It's just 
um, I guess we planned it out really well and the schedule was um, followed down to the last uh, detail. So crazy, crazy shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. So, I mean, I guess coming back to the script then, did you storyboard a lot to let you know, you know exactly what you're going to shoot and how it's going to be shot? Actually, the script, um, the shooting script um, was very edited as well. Um, because I was writing it down with animation in mind, I didn't want um, scenes that are not going <laughs> to uh, come out in the final cut because that's, you know, a wasted uh, material. So um, when the shooting script was done, actually, even when we were doing the shooting script, we were also doing the storyboard as well. And the storyboard are also in our shoot. It was posted on the wall and it was a guide to the cinematographer um, because he was also on board when we were doing the storyboards. I mean, I told him that this, are, this is going to be the shots. So... Um, we need to plan out how we are uh, lens that we are going to use the, and how we are going to position the lights for this one. So everything was really planned out. Even the editor, he was also on board in pre-production and with the creation of the storyboard. Obviously, like it, it's silly to be in awe of this, but it's like, it's impressive that you, you know that you've got to put so much preparation into it, into the script and everything so that you're not wasting people's time, so that you're not wasting uh, the energy of people as well, and you're getting things done efficiently, and then you get a brilliant film out of it. It's, It seems like such a simple thing, but it's something that I think filmmakers tend to forget. And I'm curious if, you know, in the Philippines, if people have come to you as a, a, a mentor, or as a guide to be able to see, how do I, how do I shoot this, Carl? How do I, you know get a film out and into the world that kind of thing do people look at you as somebody to to come up to for advice now um right now we surprisingly yes <laughs> i mean because i don't consider myself as part of the industry i mean i i sometimes i just make my films and then i become a hermit afterwards so um yeah but now people are asking me um they're going to do this. What are the things that we can do to to execute our film? And you know, I I keep on suggesting and and telling people to uh, have a very long time planning things. Um, even you know, even if you over plan, that's okay. <laughs> Just as long as you don't waste a lot of money during production and post production. <laughs> Yes, which is fair. Because <laughs> you've got all the time in the world before you hit roll, right? And and that's that's the time to work on it. Um, if we can talk about the the key aspect of the missing, which is of course the missing body parts and and parts of Eric which disappear and, and go away. And I'm curious if you can talk about what each of those means to him as he's evolving and, and growing as a character. Actually, um, the first thing that is missing is the obvious is the mouth. Um, because when he was young, um, Eric was told, well, more of gaslit by his uncle and co told consta constantly that he shouldn't be telling his mother about this. And this is something that um, grown up people do, stuff like that. So um, even at a young age, um, his ability to talk was taken away from him. 
and the other missing part is his memories. It only came about when he saw the alien and when he saw his dead uncle and then his eyes because his eye because he doesn't want to see um the things that are happening to him right now and his hand is also uh gone missing because um when actually the whole premise about the missing body parts is when you're facing this kind of trauma or you're facing this kind of problem in your life it's not only your ability to talk that is taken away from you um this predator take your ability to talk take away your ability to talk take away your ability to perform to work or to do just normal stuff ergo the missing hand um and the dick um because uh, it's his inability to be intimate with someone that's why um there's a lot of maybe on the nose uh, metaphors for the missing body parts but i i i wanted that feeling that it's not just your ability to talk that's taken away from you by your predators no i don't think it's on the nose at all because it is this is what happens to people who live with this kind of trauma who have to endure this kind of trauma and the physical representation of it makes it even more emotional like we we are emotionally resonating with his story as it is but to physically see it in this way it becomes very powerful and then i won't of course go into spoilers but that's why the ending is so just beautiful <laughs> and and you know it's it's yeah it's a it's a beautiful finish so i'm i imagine that the level of catharsis that you might have as a filmmaker and as a storyteller showing that uh it'd be quite quite the experience so yeah if you can probably skirting around spoilers uh but if you can talk about what that presenting that the the scene would be like for you i wanted the film to end where in he regains something that he has lost all throughout the film which is you know yeah not gonna tell um but <laughs> but i remember telling the the actors how important this scene is and we we need to pull back um with too much emotion or you know um let eric uh let eric process the whole thing and then just react as subtly as possible um when we shot actually we shot this only in two takes the ending um and we ended up using the first take <laughs> so and i was like and then after I, i i didn't yell cut at the end i was just crying <laughs> uh on set uh when that happened actually we had the video of that maybe i'll post it sometime <laughs> um even in post production um um i was talking to sound person jess uh, um bebet and music um teresa barroso we were talking about the ending and how it should feel um as you would notice uh, there are no music since ever since they went under the bed um and even in the end in the cemetery scene um we discussed that this should feel like 
like it's a place that there is no life and so we try to how we how could we make an environment wherein there's only a few live creatures that we could hear like crickets or birds but it should feel dead so um the actions that eric is doing is what is going to bring life to those um scenes so that that ending is very meticulously planned and <laughs> um, talked about by our team. Even the animation people are very worried in creating <laughs> those scenes. Well, it's, it is the last thing that we experience as an audience. And so understandably, there's a lot of uh, concern about what goes into it, but then the emotional weight is also there too. But it it's it's something, you know, when I first saw it, Last year, again, I was just so in awe of it. And then watching it again for our discussion, I'm just, I'm in awe of it. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And I'm curious, as you mentioned before, like you didn't expect that your films would be seen outside of your area, your home. Uh, can we expect to see your work reach a more global audience? I hope, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Um... Even my previous works, actually, um, I think this is um, the missing is one of my films that traveled more <laughs> compared to my previous works. But actually, my first one, Manong Beringas, went to Annecy um, Animation Film Festival. Um, I wish, yeah, I, I wish, but I don't have the rights to those films, so I don't have control. <laughs> You're here for queer screen. So it's important that we talk about it as well. What's it like being presented at this festival? Um, actually, this is my first time to be in a queer festival um, outside of the Philippines. So it's uh, I need to get back to you on that because we have a panel thing tomorrow. So if I mess up, you know, <laughs> you won't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it's important, you know, um, these stories of people um, like Eric or um, I hopefully would see other films, you know, representing the uh, the queer experience. Um, um, it means a lot because I, I, I guess it's it's representative of the time of um, uh, what the community is going through or what. Uh, or what are the stories that well, we need to know at a certain point in time? So, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna back get back to you on that because you know I just arrived, <laughs> but but I but I'm excited. I'm excited very much, very much excited. I I wrote down the film. Actually, I I already planned out my my stay here i wrote down all the films that i'm going to see so what's on your <laughs> list i'm curious oh wait it's here there there are lots of you know really long titles <laughs> who'll stop the rain aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe um, all the colors of the world are between black and white all of us strangers portrait of love mud Along came love. Yeah, yeah. That's it for now. <laughs> There's some beautiful titles in there. Uh, you've gonna... you seen some of them. I've I've seen some of them. I've seen Mutt. I've seen um, 
all of us strangers, which is a very, as you expect, a, a very powerful experience. Um, yeah, I think you're gonna you're gonna have a, a really great time at the festival, uh, you know, and watch some great films, and get to talk with some great people as well. So I'm I'm excited for you. Um, but I've taken up so much of your time, and you shouldn't it's be okay. talking with people like me. You should be out talking know, with filmmakers. <laughs> It's okay. Yeah, it's I okay. Really I, enjoy, it. I enjoy talking to you. So. Yeah, I am excited. I'm, and I'm, thank you for finding time to interview me. Um, and for the kind words, I'm going to tell this to my team, you know. Um, it, it means a lot. Yeah, thank you.